0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, October 27th. We begin with Monday's announcement that Suncore Energy will be consolidating its national workforce in Calgary. We get reaction to the announcement and what this means for the city from Mary Moran, President and CEO of Calgary Economic Development.
1: Next, we speak with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, about all things Canadian politics. Lots to cover this week, from two provincial elections in a span of three days to the Liberal minority government surviving the non-confidence
0: vote. Then we head stateside for a conversation with Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Reggie breaks down the campaign moves of both President Donald Trump and Joe Biden as we are now one week away from the federal election.
1: And finally, winter weather, Halloween safety and vaccinations. We get some seasonal pet safety tips from local veterinarian Dr. Julie Schell. now and after a mega merger in Alberta's oil patch announced on Sunday we get word that another big oil player is moving all of its offices to Calgary so we're talking about the importance of this decision with Mary Moran president and CEO of Calgary Economic Development good morning Mary good morning thanks so much for joining us Uh, the news came down late yesterday we don't have a ton of details as of yet but we know two Ontario offices will be moving to Calgary so how big of a deal is this to our city?
2: Oh, I think it's a pretty big deal and certainly couldn't come at a better time. Um, You know, obviously, even pre-COVID, it was a bit of a bumpy road. And certainly during COVID, it's been a bumpy road and certainly with some um, unpredictability with respect to how people will work and where they'll work, et cetera. So, you know, we were delighted with the news yesterday uh, about their decision.
0: We're hearing hundreds of positions, uh, Mary. I, I believe the the number that's been floated is seven hundred. Can we put a dollar figure on what this means uh, to the economy in our city to have that many people and, and families moving to Calgary?
2: Yeah, I mean, look at seven hundred people. Um, obviously, you know, with with probably family members, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a significant impact. But you know, it is important to know that we still have a lot of it office space available, and you know that for any size or type of business in downtown so but all that all said i think you know the big message here is is that suncor has the faith in calgary that it is still a really good place to make uh, a living in to make a life and so that message um you know i think will resonate across the country and we've been encouraging many companies here uh, that have a presence here to to strengthen their presence here and utilize some of the empty office space so you know hopefully this will be the beginning of uh, a trend mm-hmm. and that we'll see more companies move back.
1: Most definitely I mean you know with the Synovus Husky merger we know we'll have job losses there so maybe this helps to offset it a bit and to your point I mean the mayor mentioned it yesterday as well Calgary is a great place to do business and now is the time for our businesses to come so is this a message that uh, you know Calgary Economic Development tries to push out there now too? A hundred percent. And we were, we've been
2: pushing it for several years, but, um, and, you know, unfortunately for with COVID, we had a lot of decisions being put on soft pauses or even hard pauses. Uh, But, you know, this is a message we've been conveying across the country for quite some time. And um, it's certainly nice to see a large one like this uh, make the decision. And, you know, you've got to give, I think it's also an indication of what's happening in the industry and certainly it will help diversify the energy industry by, core bringing their downstream operation into calgary which is helpful um but you know i think this is just a sign of the times in the industry and how companies are having to navigate uh being more efficient and, and more effective and as indicated with the husky synovus uh merger two days ago
0: And, you know, I think that we could say yes, indeed, with uh, what we did have with the merger and perhaps some job losses. And you could look at how many jobs we've lost and and think that 700 is just a drop in the bucket. But the morale boost when you look at something like this, this confidence and even for those, you know, businesses in the downtown core have been hanging on. This is the kind of news that will at least give you that positive feeling.
2: I agree 100%. And I think, you know, just this, we will be taking this message um, to all of the companies that we are in talks with right now just to indicate, you know, if Suncor is doing it, then lots of people should look at it. Again, if they haven't looked at it already and encourage some of those people that have put soft pauses in to make their decision a little bit earlier than uh, than they had planned. So, um, you know, I think it, it's just a huge morale booster all around. Uh, but I think something we can build upon and uh, continue to try to attract more people into the downtown core.
1: Absolutely. Let's hope they, they just start flocking back to Calgary. It would be nice <laughs> to see, wouldn't it? Thanks so much, Mary. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That is Mary Moran, of course, and she is the president and CEO of Calgary Economic Development. And and yes, with word that Suncor will, you know, uh, consolidate all their offices here in the city. It is it is important and pr- maybe it does, you know, spur other companies to do the same.
0: And and why not? We've, uh, As she indicated, we certainly have the space. It was good to hear Mayor Nahad Nenshi coming out saying, hey, we're open. The doors are open here in Calgary. Look at these opportunities and look at what Calgary has to offer. And you think about, as she mentioned, 700 people. That could be in the thousands. You Mm -hmm. know, you think maybe 3,000 people perhaps if we're moving families of two, three, and four to our city. They're going to need places to live, Sue, and they're going to need restaurants and they're going to need the grocery stores. And uh, it's a real shot in the arm for the economy. And I think it's... It's outstanding, and it's uh, nice to get those good news stories out, particularly during this time, as you mentioned. 709 on the morning news. Lots going on in Canadian politics this week, so it's the perfect time to check in with Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Interesting time in Canadian politics, provincial elections in B.C. and Saskatchewan, by-elections in Ontario, and the Liberals' confidence vote last week that could have... Led to a snap election. Mercedes, you had the chance to speak with liberal strategist Richard Mahoney on Sunday's edition of the West Block. Why did the liberal, liberal government make this power move? You know, well, the liberals will tell you that the reason
3: why they made the power move was that they they really object to it, uh, and so they were going to make it very clear they objected to this motion because they did not believe that it should pass. Um, You know, that that may well be true. I think Liberals did very strongly object to it. Uh, They say that it went so far and demonstrated such a lack of confidence in the government, um, that if that were to be true, then really we should go to an election because obviously the opposition doesn't believe the government should be governing anymore. Uh, the problem with that is that there's other ways you can trigger an election. If you if you really, really want one, you go to the Governor General in a minority situation and say, hey, Governor General, uh, we think we've lost the confidence of the House and we'd like to ask you to call for an election. Um, the Liberals are 100% willing and ready to go to the polls, I think that they believe there's a strong chance they could get a majority government if that were to be the case. But the way that they did this also backfired on the bit because it came across uh, as being sort of so aggressive to take a, an opposition motion and turn it into a confidence vote. Um, and so almost, uh, you know, like, I, I just dare you try it, try me. Uh, that kind of arrogance is not the brand they like to put out there. And I think that uh, while they will likely be tempted into similar maneuvers in the future, um, they may be slightly chastened by the fact that, uh, yes, they're riding high in the pools, but if the public thinks that they are not uh, allowing accountability, thinks that they aren't allowing opposition questions, uh, that, that could in fact be. To that.
1: Not to mention, Mercedes, you know, it would seem it was also an attempt to halt further discussion and investigation into the WE Charity. And I don't know that Canadians appreciated that look either.
3: Yeah, you know, it kind of makes you wonder what's in the document. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if there's nothing there and they say there's nothing there... Uh, why not? Why not simply show them? That? You know, they they had strongly objected to the documents for Alexandre and uh, Margaret Trudeau, the prime minister's brother and mother, from being released. Saying, look, they're not elected members of the government, um, and I think some people could perhaps see that argument. The argument that Mr. Trudeau and his wife Sophie, who are very clearly bound under the Conflict of Interest Act and all of the ethics requirements. Um, That, I think, was a lot harder for people to swallow. And remember that when this government suspended Parliament uh, by proroguing, they had said, look, all of this stuff can come out later. Uh, All these questions can be asked. And then the same day, dumped literally thousands of documents there was now no follow-up in committee on. Uh, and yesterday uh, blocked a vote uh, that would have allowed for the release of additional documents. So here they were saying, don't worry, we're not shutting down Parliament to hide anything. Uh, but then everything subsequent to that has been designed to stand in the way of, of getting information. And there could be nothing in these documents for all we know. But that's the problem. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's in them. Um, and now they're sort of trying to use this again when it comes to Michelle Rumpel's um, uh, moving Movement that she's put forward uh, on the health committee. Now- In fairness, the Liberals on this one, they have Canadian exporters and manufacturers also saying, look, revealing this information could, in fact, uh, show sort of proprietary stuff. It could jeopardize Canadian businesses. But that one did pass in committee with support of other opposition members. So we'll see how far the government's willing to go there. They weren't willing to make it a confidence motion on Monday, um, but I certainly wouldn't rule out them using that tactic
0: again let's switch gears and talk about those provincial elections a couple in a handful of days here BC and Saskatchewan it looks like status quo for both John Horgan and Scott Moe so the question is uh, what was behind calling these elections uh, as far as the numbers very similar to previous uh, you know election results for for both leaders Saskatchewan election what was behind that one
3: so the big one with the Saskatchewan election is it was actually mandated uh, in law. It was kind of like the federal election that, that we had in 2019 where we had to go within a certain time period. It was it was written in. So it was just that time was up and we always knew Saskatchewan was going to go to the polls right now uh, because they have to. They, you know, they, they passed a law that said we're going to go to the polls at least this often. Here is the range of dates to the next election. B.C., totally different case. B.C. was a case of John Horgan calling a snap election, and I remember when I first talked to some of my colleagues in B.C., and I was hearing from federal, conservatives, and liberals here, John Horgan's ready to go to an election. B.C. was saying, well, that's crazy. It's a pandemic. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, and then one of my colleagues emailed me back about two hours later and said, it's happening he's actually going to do this. You know what? And it worked for him. He got a majority government. And part of what a lot of folks are wondering, at least thus far, um, the electoral lessons of the pandemic, which perhaps uh, are certainly emboldening the Liberals, is that if you are an incumbent, not only will you win, but both in New Brunswick and in B.C., they move from minorities to majorities. Does that mean the same thing would potentially happen with the federal government? Um, So to me, these have been really interesting elections they've all been done safely so far and of course uh we have a really big election coming very soon and that's
1: the u.s election mm-hmm. well let's talk about that in a second and maybe can we hold you over after our break and keep you on for another couple of minutes to talk about the sure. u.s okay before we get to that though uh, there's a poll out this morning i'm sure you saw it uh asking canadians do they want to go to the polls for a federal election and and most people said no not interested but it did kind of break down on uh political party lines it was interesting to see yeah you know
3: it's it's interesting because I think um, people... <laughs> it, it's- very interesting to watch it from Ottawa, both political people and non-political people, everyone says they don't want an election, and yet clearly some political people really, really, really do want an election, or we wouldn't keep talking about it because it's, it's actually avoidable um, in this situation where the opposition parties, despite it being a minority, don't want to go. There is fear on all sides of the potential that voters will punish you mm-hmm. if you go to an election during a pandemic. However, that said, when you have had three successful provincial elections, I think the fear of that that is a little bit less. Keep in mind, however, um, a provincial election, it's a lot easier to travel within your own province and to do things than when you start talking about flying back and forth across the country and the logistics involved in that. You know, how do you get in and out of Atlantic Canada? They still have a bubble and a quarantine. Lots of questions that you would have to consider. I don't think Canadians, and you see it in the poll, want an election. Um, Does that mean they would necessarily punish whoever they think is responsible, though? Maybe not. Um, And and I think that the two federal by-elections we had last night were very interesting. York Centre and Toronto Centre both up. Both went liberal. But York Centre, I was doing the Saskatchewan election special and watching York Centre on my phone. It was seesawing back and forth all night, uh, often at times between five and ten votes separating uh, the Conservatives and the Liberals. It was not supposed to be that close. The Liberals won it, uh, and they won it by around a 1,000 votes. Mm. That is not very much at all. Nope. That might be a cautionary sign for the Liberals, that they're polling or telling them that people like it. And you know what? We could go, and they could get a majority, or things might bubble up that they're not expecting. Even Toronto Centre, which is supposed to be super easy, they won handily. Marcy Ian, uh, former CTV news anchor, taking that for them. Uh, But Enemy Paul, the Green leader, came in quite close. uh, Not quite close, I shouldn't say. A lot closer than we thought she might. Uh, There was more support there. So again, not a red flag but maybe a little pitch of yellow for the liberals there. 609 now and the presidential election
1: is one week away as of today. So what are polling numbers saying? How much faith do we put in them with the latest on the two men who are running for president in the U.S.? We're joined this morning by Global's Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Any change in polling numbers or do we still see Biden ahead by double digits at this point?
4: Yeah, look, the polls have been really consistent for the last several months. Uh, this is unlike in 2016 where things were fluctuating. Joe Biden really has held this 8 to 10, sometimes 12 to 17 point margin over Donald Trump. It hasn't changed very much. The numbers for Donald Trump himself also haven't changed, staying uh, within that kind of similar area to where his base has been over the last four years. Uh, so unlike 2016, the polls have been incredibly consistent. That said, we shouldn't put all of our stock into polls. We still have to wait to see what happens on Election Day.
0: Both candidates have been keeping very busy, Reggie, if you're following uh, both of them over these uh, final days and uh, through the weekend as well. I I found it interesting that Trump was uh, in states where he has had success, well, previously back in 2016, and then I heard the term base mining. Can you break down what base mining is and why it's important?
4: Well look, Donald Trump is heading to these states uh and that's because he's trying to shore up uh the base that ha- was around him uh, in 2016 that has been slowly starting to fall away whether it's they're riding back towards the Democrats whether they're just uninterested in what President Trump uh has been doing over the last 4 years. That's why we're seeing the president head to these states that he really didn't need to work all that hard in in 2016. He was in Pennsylvania for, you know, the fifth or sixth time in just a couple of weeks yesterday. Today he heads all over the map. He's He's heading to Wisconsin he's heading to Michigan he's heading to Nebraska where there's one single electoral college vote up for grabs that goes to show how tight this race is then he's back down in Nevada later on tonight this is all to try and just try and take some of that base away from Joe Biden shore up that base that's underneath him right now uh and really try to do what he can understanding that the math isn't on his side right now
1: and even Biden uh Reggie you know who's who has been fairly subdued in in his rallying with his uh you know base is really out there and he pushing it too, trying to get people to get out and vote and, and, you know, not taking anything for granted either at this point.
4: Yeah, and not only that, he's headed to states that typically the Democrats wouldn't even pay attention to in previous election cycles. He's in Georgia tonight. This has been a reliably red state where the Democrats are actually in a pretty competitive race right now to pick up not one, but both of the Senate seats that have been held by Republicans uh, for the last number of years. Later on this week, the Biden campaign, uh, including Kamala Harris, heads to Texas. That's been red since 1976, yet it's now competitive once again, they're a neck-and-neck tie between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So it shows that the, the, the map across the country, not only when you're looking at it from an electoral college point, but just from a demographics point, it is shifting from these states that were once reliably red, becoming more purple as minority populations start to build and gain some strength in these states. And Democrats are really seeing this as pickup opportunity.
0: The election train continues, Reggie, and so does COVID-19. I'm reading on your Twitter here that a recent report show that uh, COVID cases have spiked in five cities after Donald Trump has held, held a rallies in those cities. So uh, we're seeing it still very much as a concern, aren't we?
4: Absolutely, yeah, and and it's 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 true about uh, the president's uh, rallies. Five rallies: one in Wisconsin, one in Minnesota, one in a couple in Pennsylvania. The numbers spiked by as much as fifteen hundred in these cities uh, in the, in the weeks after President Trump held a rally there. Uh, and it really is creating a messaging problem here for Republicans. The numbers for coronavirus are not going down. You know, President Trump tweeted this morning that we won't be talking about this anymore after the election, trying to base it up as some conspiracy to go after him. It's simply a lie, and tweeting about that in all caps, doesn't make it any more true. Coronavirus is a problem in the United States. It's impacting a significant number of states that the president is heading to today, like Wisconsin, where their hospitals uh, are simply at capacity because they can't deal with the number of COVID-positive patients that are coming. And for the president to be out there continuously holding these maskless rallies like he did yesterday in Pennsylvania, uh, it really gives the Democrats that kind of boost to say, look, we are trying to take this seriously right now. We see that your health uh, is potentially at risk if you go to these rallies. It's also Partly the reason why some of the seniors are flocking from President Trump, because they see this as potentially toying with their lives and their futures.
1: On that note, you know, also on one of his tweets, he he called people talking about COVID losers, which is incredibly non-presidential. So is this becoming more of a vote against Trump as much as, you know, for Biden?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, look, the president has worked effortlessly to try and keep COVID-19 out of the headlines. But by continuously tweeting about it and by talking about it, saying all anybody talks about is COVID, 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 keeps it in the headlines. But also when you have these rallies that pop up coronavirus cases two weeks later, the local news then latches onto it and brings coronavirus back into the conversation. Democrats are making this solely about a referendum on President Trump's handling of this crisis since January, ignoring what they see are legislative losses over the last four years. And number A number of Democratic uh, uh, members of the base are also picking this up, saying, look, I've lost a loved one. I've lost a child. I've lost a parent because of how this coronavirus has been handled and calling somebody a loser because this has impacted their life. Uh, Yeah, it's not presidential, but it also just works against the Republicans, not only at the top of the ticket, but all those members of
0: the Republican Party down ballot. The travel continuing, the candidates getting their faces out there. I'm wondering, we heard about those huge numbers for advanced votes And advanced voting. Uh, What is the structure like in the U.S.? Does that continue right on through until Monday of next week before the actual election day? Or is there a cap on advanced voting?
4: It depends on what state you're in. Some states have advanced voting uh, voting that only goes the day before election. Some don't have any advanced voting. Some states will have uh, advanced voting that goes through this weekend. Uh, You know, Maryland just started theirs earlier this week, and that wraps up uh, on Saturday. So it's kind of piecemeal across the country, but the numbers are huge. You know, on the plus side of 60 million, that's 40% of all votes that were cast in total in 2016. It goes to show that there's a lot of voter enthusiasm out there. There are concerns about voter suppression, which is why we're seeing some of those long lines. Lines. But an interesting note here, the largest voting bloc in the United States right now, Generation Z and Millennials. And these are two groups that have been outspoken against President Trump, whether it's because of school shootings up through 2019, whether it's because of uh, their fears of their financial futures going forward. This could be a make or break block if they get out, because typically the younger vote doesn't vote in uh, in kind of driving forces like we see with older populations.
1: Before we let you go, quick mention uh, that Justice Amy Coney Barrett, uh, her nomination was pushed through in a late night vote last night so 6-3 conservative majority now on the supreme court
4: yeah, and there is fears from Democrats that this is going to change uh, the fundamentals of this country, whether it's health care, whether it's protections for the LGBTQ population, whether it's uh, changes when it comes to abortion rights in this country, possibly sending it back down to the lower level. Remember, the president's taxes are headed to the Supreme Court, as well as a number of cases that could potentially decide this election. All of a sudden, we have the Trump administration now going after North Carolina to stop an extension of mail-in ballots. This could potentially wind up in some kind of Republican or a conservative majority on the Supreme Court and ultimately change the way the ballots are cast there's a lot to watch here over the next two weeks
0: lots to watch and i'll tell you what i can't believe it's only seven days yeah. until the big day it uh, seems to have been taking years <laughs> <And> until <laughs> years off week. your life reggie um, th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your time reggie we appreciate it thank you that's reggie cicchini globals washington correspondent 8 42 on the morning news cooler temperatures halloween safety and keeping vaccinations up to date. While all of the above affect us, they should also be kept in mind when it comes to our pets. With some tips on seasonal pet safety, we're joined by Dr. Julie Schell, a veterinarian with the Bow Bottom Veterinary Hospital. Good morning to you, Dr. Shell. Good morning, Andrew. Thank you for taking the time with us. Let's begin with the transition to winter because we certainly had a taste of winter over the weekend. Now, I've heard that the ice melter or salt solutions we use on our sidewalks can be harmful to our pets. Is that yes. correct?
5: They absolutely can. And even the ones that are labeled safe for animal use, maybe they're safe because they won't toxify or damage or kill the animal, but they absolutely will still cause
0: irritation in the skin. Interesting stuff. So, is is it just the old Armstrong method? We have to chip off the ice on our own. Is that the best method? Or can you uh, give (laughs) us some sort of suggestion?
5: Really good. And we actually use non clumping cat litter or sand that doesn't have any salt. Mm. And sometimes you can get the sand that is saltless at um, for free. Like you can get sandbags and you can also look at your fire department. Often they will give out free sand. But I love using non-clumping clay cat litter because it's totally non-toxic and it's very effective. But yes, definitely um, removing the ice. And snow, as soon as you possibly can, is also going to be a deterrent for the ice
1: to build up. And you won't really need much at all if there's no ice there, for sure. Dr. Shell, speaking of toxic, Halloween is this weekend, obviously. Are there certain things that we need to be aware of in terms of candy and chocolate when it comes to our pets?
5: Yes, absolutely. There's a huge movement to to feed people t- xylitol nowadays, so it's in a lot of products. Even peanut butters, some of these, like, um, peanut butters have uh, xylitol as the sweetener, and definitely chewing gum. A lot of people want to give out, quote, a healthy alternative, and so they'll give out chewing gum, and that will have an enormous amount of xylitol, and even one stick of gum or one square, one cube of gum can cause massive toxicity for many animals, big or small. So it's a very dangerous thing, definitely xylitol. And then raisins are another thing that a lot of people don't understand are dangerous. Mm. And yeah, I'll still get raisin toxicity cases. The wrapper that's, that is carrying the candy is actually damaging it can cause suffocation and so what we recommend is to cut up the wrapper before you throw it in the garbage because dogs are so smart cats even are so intelligent they will smell the remainder of food items in that wrapper and they'll chew it and they'll small it they'll also um, stick their nose in and they can suffocate just like back in the wild you'll see like a bear with like a a bucket on its head and he can't escape well it's the same thing in dogs once they have a chip bag or a candy bag or even those little juju bags over their nose it causes immediate suffocation like with in 10 seconds they can die and so what we recommend is we actually cut the bags so that they're a flat sheet before you throw them in the garbage.
0: We're all rolling up our sleeves and getting our flu vaccinations right now Dr. Shell. Yes. What about for our pets any seasonal vaccinations we should know about? Definitely keeping them current on all the vaccinations. With COVID,
5: more and more people are utilizing the dog off-leash parks because they're home with their pets. So that's an amazing, that's one of the only good things about COVID is people are actually amazingly spending more time outside with their pets and walks. So there's getting to be more dog-to-dog interaction. And for a while, we weren't allowed to do um, basic um, annual general exams in veterinary medicine. We were um, asked to only do emergency services. So a lot of dogs are overdue for their annual exam and annual vaccinations. So it's very important to now head to your veterinarian. It's safe to do so. We have a lot of protocols in place to set up your dog so that they will be healthy. The clients are remaining outside of the veterinary building, and we are only letting dogs in. We're using max of course, as well. But yes, definitely keeping them current on all the distemper, parvo, rabies, kennel cough. If they're going to nose to nose with other dogs, leptospirosis is out there. There's a lot of wildlife now that the weather kind of has warmth. I see a lot of deer, and they urinate, and same thing with coyotes. They're mobilizing, and dogs will eat that urine, and they will definitely get leptospirosis in the snow. Um, it will survive definitely it, it does very well with cold temperatures as well so yes so definitely got, talk to your veterinarian about your dog and your cat's lifestyle and we'll help you
1: um decide what vaccinations are required great reminders great tips thank you so much for joining us doctor thank you so much that is dr julie shell veterinarian and you can get more information at bowbottomvet.com.